0: Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Good. I'm Scott Weatherford, and I'm joined by the Gillies, Brittany and Brandon. And uh, you guys, uh, Gillies, uh, of not of the famous Pass It Get Down, Dina, Dina Gillies. You've never heard that before? Never. Never. Yeah. So, Brandon and, and Brittany. Now, Brittany grew up here in the church. She's the daughter of Barbara Stevens. And Mike, yeah. Mike went home sick. I guess my preaching made him ill. I'm sorry about that. But uh, but Brittany, you grew up here in the church, right? Yeah, you've been uh, you guys have been here, gosh, all your life basically, right? So this is your family. This is your home church. And Brandon, you married into this thing. So welcome to Wimberley and welcome to the crazy. So we're really glad you're here. Now you guys were international missions uh, missionaries with the uh, International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And where did you guys serve? Where, where, where did God assign you in the world?
1: We were in one of the stans, Tajikistan. It's a little bitty. Not, not many people can point to it on a map. It's about 8 million people, 97% Islam. Yeah, they're in the middle of Central Asia,
0: and the Central Asian uh, culture. Uh, we were talking earlier, I'd been to Kazakhstan about five times working with the, the, the international missionaries working there. And uh, so we talked about things like eating horse meat, and you had horse sausage, isn't that wonderful? Never try to sing after eating horse meat. She leaves you a little horse. Obviously, I've been eating horse even today. Uh, But also, they they didn't get a chance to drink some amazing drinks, fermented mare's milk. Doesn't that sound delicious? We will not have any of that at the open house today, okay? And then fermented uh, camel's milk, which is even better. But you guys missed out on that. But you probably get, did get to go to the moonsha, right, or the, the banya, and all that kind of creepy stuff that's there in, in Central Asia. So you guys were there. And how long did you serve there? Uh, almost seven years. Seven years. Wow. And well, what did, what was your job? What was your assignment?
1: Um, our job was uh, we worked with an organization that hired local believers, and we partnered with them. We would bring uh, drinking water to villages that didn't have any through Natural Springs. And so we, as we did that work, we would share Jesus together and uh, get to know the locals and do that. So basically, you were there uh, as an NGO, a non-government organization,
0: supported by the generosity of Southern Baptist churches. Now, guys, get this, okay? Most every other mission organization in the world, the missionaries have to raise their own support. They have to go out and then the agency, now get this, the agency will take a little bit off of what you raised to fund their, their things. That's not the way it is with Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists, we send missionaries and we support missionaries. So you guys were with an NGO because you couldn't go in there to plant churches, but you went to partner with local believers and hoping to start a indigenous church planting movement in Tajikistan or Kajakistan or wherever kind of stan that was. Great. So you, 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 now how in the world did you end up there? Brittany, how'd that happen?
2: Yeah, both of us at different points in our life felt called to do overseas mission work even before we were married. And so we knew once we got married that we would be going overseas somewhere. And it was through different relationships that we had that we ended up there in Tajikistan. We knew we wanted to go somewhere that people didn't know about and that there was predominantly lost people. And that's how we got
0: there. Now that's that's a key word, through relationships. You know, guys, here we only partner through relationships. If we don't have a relationship, we're not partnering. And so it sounds like we're gonna be going to Central Asia at some point because of that. Now, I've, I, this is totally off script. I know you're shocked by this, but how in the world did you two meet? And how in this dating process did it come up? Oh, by the way, I'm gonna be a missionary. That had to be a wonderful, awkward conversation. How did you guys meet? So, At Gillies in Pasadena? No, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: It's actually better on, oh. a, on a carnival cruise in the buffet line. <laughs> yes.
0: Wow, I think we need a video testimony of that, yeah.
2: Yeah, he, he was actually a journeyman overseas in Tajikistan, and he had come back for a vacation with his family, and I had gone with some single women in my church ministry on this cruise, and we met, in that first day, he said, hey, do you want to have lunch? And he shared where he was serving, and I shared my heart for lost over the world, and we connected through that. So he was a journeyman, and I was a teacher.
0: That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Who knew, right? The love boat soon will be making another voyage. Yeah. Aren't you glad I know that now? Yeah, that's great. So um why is it important? This is awesome. Why is why is it important that we uh we partner with you as a, this local church partnering with our international workers around the world? All
2: right. We You can't top the, no, the
0: camp meeting at the buffet, right? No,
2: yeah, I know, I yeah. know. Well we honestly, as missionaries, we feel sent, we are sent out by the local church here. And we feel very connected when we're overseas. It can be isolating at times, but to receive emails of encouragement, even Melinda came out to visit us once and we were able to share our life with her. Um, It just really offers the support to allow us to persevere and continue to be about the task and to stay there longer building lives there.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really cool. I know when I worked in Kazakhstan. One of my assignments, I spent get this three days drinking tea in a Stalin apartment, coaching Kazakh planters with a with an interpreter. There were times in that, and to get this, y'all, they were speaking Kazakh. I was speaking English, our form of English. And um, there were times that I did not need the translator. I knew what they were saying because pastoring is pastoring, whether it's Kazakhstan or in Texas, it's kind of the same. So, so all right, now we're doing this 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 giving. Uh, the International Mission Board, we call it the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, in honor of Lottie Moon, who was a missionary who actually served in China and died on her way back. gave I guess maybe we call her our martyr. I don't think that was the case, but Lottie Moon was a great example of this. So we have this mission gift now in her honor. Why is this important, Brandon? Why is this important that we give at Christmas time uh, to this particular offering?
1: Um, that's the great thing about Southern Baptists is we're pooling resources for the Great Commission. And so we got 40,000 plus churches, little churches. You can't support a missionary, big churches that can support several. We pull them together and all that money goes towards missionaries doing their work, getting, uh, going out there, sharing their faith, discipleship and reaching places that we've never heard of like Tajikistan. Yeah. Tajikistan is not on the radar. We all know about Mexico missions and you know, Southern America or whatever, but you start to get farther away, nobody knows about it. But with uh, Lottie Moon and things, we can reach those unreached peoples that nobody's ever heard of because they need uh, to know about Jesus as well, so.
0: That's right. And to see uh, the indigenous local pastor, the local church coming up and starting a movement and where the stands become influential to all that area of the world where these people could come to Christ. Now, I want you guys to know this, that 100% of the gifts we give for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes directly to support missionaries. None of it goes to administration. All of it goes to the work there. And I know that, gosh, almost 50% of your budget was funded through, uh, through this. So this is a cool thing. Now I want you guys to know this as well. This is cool. This church, First Baptist Church Wimberly, was 18th in the state of Texas in generosity for giving to this, the missions last year. 18th. Yeah, it's either we're really good or somebody's slacking. 18th. And so we've always had this spirit of not pay, pray, and stay out of the way, but pray and give and go to be the hope of the world. So you guys are back. You're teaching school right now, which is a lot like drilling wells in yeah, a foreign
1: country. It's a little harder, maybe.
0: Yeah, that's right. And uh, you're, you're home, making sure Mike and Barbara are entertained. You guys have like 15 kids? Just three. And it feels like 15. Yeah. But yeah, you guys are back and we look forward to seeing you. They're already volunteering in our student ministry area, and we're just so proud of you. Now, I didn't do this the last gathering, but I want to do it this time. How can we pray for you? Because I want to pray for you. Uh, we want to pray for you. How, what, what can we pray for you about?
1: Um, yeah, we, we feel a deep connection with that work overseas. And so just like we talked about, just praying about how we can continue to support that work and the believers there and because there's people in dark places that don't have any opportunity to hear and be able to be a part of that uh, even while we're over here. So that would be a good thing.
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that God placed you here because together we can do a great thing, right? Yes, sir. Let's pray for the Gillies, okay? Y'all join me. Father, thank you for these two and thank you for the call that's in their life. You gave them the assignment over in the stones, and now you brought them back. The calling hasn't changed, the assignment has. But God, I pray you bless them, you guide them and you let all of our hearts grow, just beat fast for the work you're wanting to do in the world to bring people to a saving knowledge of who you are. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Father, may we sprint into the darkness with the light of Christ to bring their hope. God, release in us the generosity through this Christmas offering to do the good in the world that needs doing and love the ones that need loving. Thank you for the Gillies. May their transition be back, back to the United States be smooth. May their kids thrive. And I pray this in your name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thanks a lot. Let's give them some love, y'all. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. Now these guys are going to be hanging around after the gathering. Uh, thanks, Scotty, to um, to talk. If you have questions you want to ask, you know, maybe you sense God's calling you into mission service. You know, you never know. I mean, you know, Brittany says she grew up here. She God was brewing something in her, and then she met this guy on a sleazy cruise, and that's how they got you know <laughs> connected. So you just never know what God's up to. So. If you need to talk to someone, talk to these guys. They've been there, they've done that, and we're gonna figure out how to add Tajikistan to our list of places we're leaning into. So we look forward to that, so we'll be having conversations in the future. I, uh, I kinda miss the horse sausage. You just can't get any of that in Wimberley, You know, just not, not there. So today we're continuing this series of the hope of Christmas and the hope of looking for hope. Have you ever been to a place where you've just been just desperate? Have you? Some of you are there right now. You're just desperate. You need something to happen. Or maybe you're kind of thinking, there's more to this life than what I appear is on the surface. There's, there's more here than what I'm looking at, more here than what I'm sensing. And the older I get, the, the more I realize that this life is full of the practical, but also full of the mystical. And this seeking, this desire for something more, It's something very much God has put in with you inside your heart. God has caused every one of us to long for something deeper than we're experiencing, to really have a desire to know and be known and to have a sense of destiny that moves us beyond where we are to where he wants to take us. God loves seekers. and Christmas, tis the season to be seeking. Whether you're seeking peace or hope or joy or seeking just some peace and quiet, that God loves his seekers. In fact, this is the very image and nature of God. God is a seeking God. He sought Adam and the woman in the garden, said, where are you? He knew where they were, but he came looking for them. And the whole Christmas story is about a God who came looking for us because we needed hope, and he is the hope. I love what it says in Jeremiah. Look at this passage. You will seek me, you will seek me and find me, When you seek me with all your heart. Now, I don't know about you, but man, I have a hard time judging whether or not I'm wholehearted. You know, I think I'm all in, but eh, there's probably a little bit of a holding back. And I'm thinking, okay, if I'm not seeking wholeheartedly, God's really not going to let me find you. And I don't even know how to figure out my dead gum heart. But you know what? God knows my heart. God knows the condition of my soul. He knows my wandering mind. And he's come looking for me. And so this springboards then into our talk this morning about how God has wired you up to be a seeker and how he wants to fulfill your life. And it opens up our conversation in Matthew chapter two. Wyatt talked about that. I'm gonna be talking about Matthew chapter two. This week actually took me about uh, an hour and a half. I read through the book of Matthew, just the whole book of Matthew. And I've read Matthew a lot of times, but this, this, I read it with a seeker mindset. Like I was seeking some truth. Now I had you know, a lot of interruptions while I was reading through the back of Matthew. People in and out of my office, I'm trying to read and they're in and out. And, uh, but I was focusing, You know, one thing dawned on me as I was reading Matthew. Now you know Matthew, now let me give you a little blank fill in some blanks, Matthew was writing to the Jewish people. He was writing to prove that Jesus was Jewish and that he was the Messiah they were looking for. Matthew always referred back to prophecies. Do you know in Matthew chapter two alone, Jesus fulfills four of the prophecies made about himself, just in chapter two. Get this, Jesus fulfilled 330 prophecies to the letter about him. That's astronomical. It had to be intentional. It had to be intentional. And so as I was reading through the book of Matthew, I was thinking, these people were stupid. How in the world could they miss Jesus? Now, you read about the virgin birth, you go, okay, whatever. And then you kind of read that, and and I'm not dismissing that because that's so important. And I read about Jesus in in Nazareth and Jesus growing up and Jesus teaching at the temple of Jesus and these people were so dismissive and so he would heal people and raise people from the dead and walk on the water and take fish and loaves and like, why didn't they get it? Here's why. Because they saw him as the illegitimate son of Joseph and Mary. They had marginalized him as being the illegitimate one. And therefore, because of his illegitimacy, they didn't buy into his power. Jesus, born of a virgin, the very act of God, man had nothing to do with this. Mary, an empty vessel, carried the spirit of God and we marginalized him marginalized him as illegitimate and we miss him. But God says, I will not miss you. Have you ever been marginalized? I got to thinking about this as I was reading this, I grew up marginalized. I wore glasses, thick glasses. And when I uh, would go, these are just reading glasses, I wear them for fashion. I look smarter with them on. I need all the help I can get. But I had my eyes fixed several years ago, but I wore thick glasses. I was a pretty good athlete, but my coaches were marginalized because I had glasses on. Pretty good musician, but I would be marginalized because I had glasses on. Be pushed aside because I had glasses on. I was a hunk of hunk of burning love, but those girls (laughs) had pushed me aside. And then something happened, I got contact lenses. that's where Tara saw me that she needed glasses anyway but being marginalized is no way to live and the king of kings and the lord of lords was marginalized but there were some people who were seeking him who looked at the prophecies about him and they worshipped him and they were changed by him And today we're gonna go on this journey and we're gonna see what it means to be someone who seeks hope with all your heart. I saw a bumper sticker once that said this, wise men still seek him. Y'all remember that bumper sticker? Are you wise? Then let's seek. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're gonna say to us this morning. And I pray, Father, we'll be ones who seek you. We won't be ones who oppose you or who don't notice you, but we'll be ones who worship you. And I pray, Father, that you'll speak through me. Not my words, not my thoughts, not even the beginning of my thinking or or my doing, but Father, all for you and all about you. So I thank you for how good you are, how great you are, how loving you are, and how you wanna speak to these seeking hearts That are here this morning. And I pray this all in your strong name. Amen. I invite you to take your take the weekend with you notes out. And um, I got a cough drop in just because, you know, I'm probably going to cough. Somebody asked me how my cough is doing. It is doing excellent. Uh, Take out your take the weekend with you notes. Let me remind you that we have a Christmas devotional available online at our website, fpcwemberley.com. There's a reading every day. I read the ones for this week. They are fantastic. Take time, your God time, your group time, your gathering time to have your life built by God. So lean into all of that. We provide that for you because we love you. Now I wanna read for you out of Matthew chapter chapter two, verse beginning in verse one. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And then Herod the king heard this. He was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembled the chief priests and the scribes of the people, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. I mean, come on, folks. There's a star bright shining star in the east and you don't even know it? What was wrong with these people? I read that and I would, were they not paying attention? Maybe Jerusalem wasn't a dark sky city. Who knows? But listen, let me go on. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, so it's written by the prophet, you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd by people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time they saw the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. and When you found him, bring, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. <clears throat> Excuse me. After listening to the kings, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, now, a couple of things I want you to notice. Herod asked, When did you see it going into the house? So Jesus had moved from the stable into a house. And you'll read later that Herod killed all the babies two years and younger. So Jesus was not, as you see, the nativity scenes with the wise men bailing at the manger. That didn't happen. They showed up later. Approximately, you know, a year and a half or so later. So they showed up. They came to the house. Um, I lost my place. And they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, be, and begin being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed from their own country by another way. Now, who are these seekers in the story? And why do I even bring this account, this historical account, to light today? Who are these seekers, the wise men, and Herod, and the Jewish, the Jewish leaders? I was going to take time to talk to you about the wise men, but I'm not going to take time to tell you about the wise men because you really don't really need to know a lot about them. I was going to tell you that they were Parthians and the Parthians were a group of people from the far east uh, around Iraq and Iran. And the Parthians were a group of people that rose up. You see, Alexander the Great conquered the known world and he conquered Babylon. And the Babylonians were there and they had their kind of deal and they conquered him. And then when Alexander the Great died. They divided his kingdom up into four. And one of the generals took that the fourth kingdom. And the Parthians rose up and they conquered the Jews, the Greeks, rather, in, in there. And then the Parthians came up. But I wasn't going to tell you all that because just too much history nobody really cares about. And I also wasn't going to tell you that the wise men really predate the Parthians and even the Babylonians because back when Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, he conquered Israel. And when he conquered Israel, he took the best and brightest out of Israel and he transported into Babylon. And while there was in Babylon, there was a guy named Daniel. And Daniel introduced all of Babylon to the worship of the one true God. You see, the Babylonians were polytheistic. They had a lot of gods, but then they became a they had one God and the one true God because of a guy named Daniel. But I wasn't gonna tell you that either because that's just a lot of stuff that you won't remember. And then, but Daniel had led them through signs and wonders and interpretation that they started kind of a movement, the wise men of the East, called the Magi or the wise men, kind of a school of thought bubbled up where they were into mathematics and astronomy and astrology, stargazing and interpretation and dream interpretation. And they were kind of into that. And these group of wise men, even when the Greeks conquered, those wise men stayed. Even when the Parthians conquered, those wise men stayed. Even when the Romans conquered, those wise men stayed. In fact, the Romans and the Greeks Recognize the wise men throughout the whole Roman Empire as what they call the kingmakers. If these wise men saw in a vision you were going to be a king, then you were going to be a king. But I wasn't going to tell you all that either. Because this is a lot of stuff, right? But these, these dudes, in fact, they say there's three of them. Their names are Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. How did they come up with three? Because somewhere down the line said they're going to be three. They bought three gifts gold, frankincense, and birth. He's kind of like the salesman said, There's gold, there's frankincense, but wait, there's myrrh. Get it? There's more. Wow. Okay. These dudes had been waiting all their life for the revelation of a king, they've been waiting 500 years years, 600 years. One scholar said between 600, 550 and 600 years have been waiting since Daniel talked about the one who's going to be born. Wow. And they saw the star and they went, boom, he's here. Let's go. Saddle up the campbells, dudes. We're out of here. I'll tell you something else crazy. Not that you need to know it. That the Bishop of Cologne claimed he had the skulls of the three wise men. Like what he's doing with that a lovely cup holder. So here's the skull of a wise man. Put your Red Bull in there. That's right. Because they'll give you wings. These wise men were living their life looking for what they found in Bethlehem what about you? Interesting. Tara and I were talking about this this week because I was telling her about the stuff I wasn't going to tell y'all about. And she's going, how do you keep all that nonsense in your head? I don't know. There's nonsense and there's snot. That's all there is right now (laughs) in my head. And so I saw her, I said, you know, it's really interesting. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. And you know, you read theologians and they said, Oh, they brought gold because he's a keg. Oh, they brought frankincense because of his death. And they brought myrrh because he's gonna anoint him for his death. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, uh-uh. That may be like reading into it. Here's why they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because Mary and Joseph were broke. They couldn't afford to stay in Motel 6. They were broke. And they were going to have to run for their life and be illegal aliens in Egypt for at least two years. So what did God do? He funded them through the gifts of the wise men. You know what i saying to you, beloved? God is ahead of you in your need for his provision. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor God's seed beg for bread. Mary and Joseph had no idea they were gonna have to live as foreigners in a foreign land. And it ain't cheap, y'all. But God knew. So he sent some dudes with some cash. So Joseph sold that frankincense and he sold that myrrh and he took that gold and he turned it into money to run. And then later he came back to Nazareth and settled there. y'all ever pray this? Y'all ever pray this? Give us this day our daily bread. Y'all ever pray that? Do y'all realize the kitchen of Jesus is open the night before you know you had a need for daily bread? God's cooking your bread before you're even hungry. God has his provision for you, prepared for you before you even have a know, have a need for it. Isn't that a good word? These guys came with a seeking heart. Now, why did they show up in Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the capital city of Judea. They read through the biblical prophecies. They had the writings of Daniel. Not only did they have the writings of Daniel, get this, they had the writings of Isaiah and Jeremiah and most of the minor prophets and all the Psalms and all the, the, the five first books of the Bible. They had all those. How'd they get those? Daniel. They had all this messianic prophecy. They had all this stuff and it all came together and they'd known it, they read it, they'd studied the stars, they're doing the math, they're figuring out the the prophecies and boom, shakalaka, on the camel they went to see Jesus because he was the one they were seeking all along. And the next seeker in this is a guy named Herod, the king. Now, when you start reading the New Testament, You get confused, because there's a lot of Herods. Y'all notice this? Herod Antipas, and Herod this, and Herod that, Herod the other. Well, this Herod was called Herod the Great. So I'm not gonna take time to tell you about Herod the Great. You know, I'm not gonna tell you that he was the master builder of the ancient world. Y'all don't need to know that. Y'all don't need to know that he built Masada, which was one of the greatest fortresses in the ancient world, built in the Dead Sea, in the desert, on top of a cliff, that was, you could not access it. And he built it so that you could, it, the rainwater collection, in the scarcity of rain, they would collect enough water to keep people alive for three years in Masada. So much water they had. It had indoor plumbing, running water, including hot water. In 4 BC, Herod's bedroom cantilevered over the cliff and looked out in a panoramic view of the Dead Sea. Y'all don't need to know that. Y'all don't need to know that Herod rebuilt the temple and returned it to the glory, almost the glory of Solomon because he's a master builder. In fact, Herodian building was small stone, large stone and the architecture of that day was that way. And Jesus said upon this rock, talking about Herodian building, I, he's large stone, I will build my church oh, with small stones, that's us. And he was using Herodian architecture. It, but y'all don't need to know that. And then, also, y'all don't need to know that he built Caesarea, which was a city, a modern city, covered in white plaster that could be seen from miles away. If you go with me to Israel, you'll get to see Caesarea. Miles away, covered in white plaster that had indoor plumbing. Uh, you, you, we in Texas were still going in an outhouse. And in 6 BC, they had indoor plumbing at in Caesarea including hot baths and running water, sanitation, the whole deal, curb and gutter. We don't have curb and gutter in, v- in Wimberley. Now, this is Herod the Great, but y'all don't need to know that. Y'all need, also don't need to know he was crazy as a pet coon in a cage. He was nuts. He um, got mad at his mother-in-law and he killed her. And I kind of understand, okay, anyway. <laughs> Killed her and he killed his wife and he built a temple, a monument, a a, a big tower to their honor. I've been to the ruins of those. Then then he had his sons killed because he was jealous. And then this is what he did. He was so horrible. He had all the babies killed in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy that there'll be great crying come out of Ramah, which is that area. It's called Ramah. And he, he, so there'll be weeping and ashing in Rama for they have lost their loved ones. And that's what Herod did. He killed all the babies there. Horrible, horrible man. And he was so bad that he knew when he died, nobody was gonna grieve. Nobody was gonna grieve for him. He, he knew that. So he had the leading people in Jerusalem incarcerated. So upon his death, they would be executed. So he would guarantee there would be mourning in Israel because he killed all these people. And he was against Jesus. He was so paranoid and crazy, but y'all don't need to know all that. Are you opposing Jesus? We live in a society that opposes Jesus. You know, in our society, you better not talk bad about other religions except for Christianity. You can get away with that. Because we're bumpkins and fools. You, you better not talk about Confucius or Muhammad or Buddha or whoever else. But you say what you want to about Jesus. Do you know why? Because Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad can't do anything for you. But Jesus is God. And he can change your life. Are you like here? You're posing? And then the third kind of seekers in this, this narrative is the Jewish leaders and scribes. You've got dead gum wise men living in Persia. that are looking for a star and waiting for fulfillment. And the people of the law, the people who are supposed to know what's going on. The religious folks, Jesus is born seven miles away from them and they miss it. There's a dead gum star in the sky and they miss it. Are we just oblivious? Go through our lives willy-nilly running to places here and there, trying to fulfill up our time. At Christmas time, instead of seeking the savior, maybe we were seeking the crazy at the outlet malls. What are we doing? Are we like Herod in opposition? Are we like the Jewish leaders in oblivion? Or are we like the wise men and we worship. What we need is a guide. What we need is a guide. The wise men had a guide, had a few. They had the guides' of prophecy. They looked at the, at the authority of what was handed to them from generation to generation to generation, and it all added up. And then they had a star. Did y'all know the star, Bethlehem star, was first pronounced by God in Deuteronomy chapter 24? Wow. Now, the star is kind of a debated thing. And people today, yeah, I watch the Discovery Channel, you know, Discovering Ignorance. I watch the Discovery Channel. And they talked about the Bethlehem star, the star of destiny, and the star of destiny. Was it a low-hanging comet that was suspended in sky and stayed there kind of in perpetuity during this time? Just a comet that stayed in in illuminated light. Was that? And then astronomers go, no, it couldn't be because a comet has to be moving, it can't be suspended. But if God can walk on water, if he can take fish and loaves and feed 5,000, I think he could hang a star, a comet suspended over the earth. Some say it was, it was the king of planets lining up Jupiter, lining up with Saturn in a perfect alignment that illuminated this place almost in the spotlight of the Middle East. Could that happen? Absolutely. Some have said the star of destiny was not a practical physical star, but it was the illumination of the wise men in their hearts and their minds. And the star of destiny was the inward light of God showing himself to them individually and collectively. I don't like that. That's too much of what's called Gnosticism, the inner light stuff. I think it was real. I think it was literal. I think it was shown. And I think it declared that Christ was born. How could the religious leaders miss it? Because they weren't looking for a guide. They weren't looking for a God. They were looking for a religion. They were looking to come on to church on Sunday, sing the hymns and act like the devil on Monday. Just saying. Not that this idiot you. That's that first service. Not teasing. But we need a guide. The guide of the truth of scripture. The guide of prophecy. The guide, the physical guide of the star. The guide of the baby being born of a virgin. Why is the virgin birth matter? Because Jesus was not the illegitimate son of Joseph, but he's the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Not marginalized, but magnified. Not pushed aside, but adored forever. We need a guide. That God is literally playing hide and seek in the open. Here I am, the God you've been looking for. Do you need help this Christmas? Come to Jesus. You need peace this Christmas? Come to Jesus. You need joy this Christmas? Come to Jesus. You need provision this Christmas? Come to Jesus. This thing you've been seeking, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace, tis the season for seeking, seek no more. The other day, my two little little delights were at my house, Ivy and Lily, my two little granddaughters. And uh, just a little, kind of self-disclosure, Papa can be just a little lazy especially on a Sunday afternoon, Papa likes to sit in his recliner. I'm so lazy, I got an electric recliner. That's lazy, y'all. You don't have to work to push it back. He's like, yeah, it's awesome. And so I, the little girls were coming over and I decided I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to be engaged. And Tara's going to go, what? <clears throat> I can't even do the what anymore. My voice, voice, is, so, uh, voice is so hoarse. And, and so Ivy and I said, I, "Ivy, you want to go exploring?" And she goes, "Yeah, let's go, Papa." So we went and walked. Our we have about four acres. It's you know it's kind of wooded, but it's when you come today, please come today. I got so much stinking food. Come today. So we we walked out on the, the land and we were looking at well, what we were doing. We were looking for a place to build a treehouse. That's what we were looking for, a place to build a treehouse. Now. Gigi, that's Tara, says that Papa cannot build the treehouse because anyone who goes in Papa's treehouse will die from a fall. (laughs) So Michael, okay, yeah, treehouse. we were looking for a place to build a treehouse. Of course, we found magical rocks where you could stand on and you could announce and you could sing, and we were going through that. We were having fun out through our, and to her little three-year-old mind, this was a vast wilderness, vast wilderness. But, you know, to me, it's, it's a place I have to cut limbs and haul bushes, <laughs> grass, and watch them dead gum deer walk through there and eat everything. And so um, she looks at me. She gets close. She gets really serious. She grabs my hand. She says, Papa, are we lost? Are we lost? And I, I bent down best I could. And I said, baby, you're with Papa. You're not lost. This is Papa's land. I know where we are. You're with Papa. And she said, Papa, do you know how to get home? I said, yeah. I know how to get home. She goes, good. Let's go see Gigi. I want to tell you something, beloved. You're not lost. You're not lost. Because our Papa's got the whole world in his hands. And all you have to do is take him by the hand. And he knows the way home. He knows the way home. I didn't tell this in the last gathering but I'm gonna tell it to you now. I don't have it in my notes. And so Gillies, if you come twice, you get extra stuff. Just let it so you know, okay. My mother died in 2010. My mother was a marginalized little girl. She had bad eyesight. Some of you read about this in the shout out I wrote this week. Um, Mom had cataract surgery when she was seven. Her parents were so poor, they took her up to Jackson, Mississippi, a hundred miles away from her home, dropped her off the hospital and left her and came back to run the farm. She had an uncle up there, kind of checked on her from time to time. When she got ready to come home, Uncle Grady put her on the train and she had to come home by herself. She's seven. Anybody in the room go put a seven-year-old on a train by themselves? Not today. Little blind girl, seven. Uncle Grady gave her to a, a porter who was black, discriminated, marginalized, a little blind girl and a black porter in the South in the 30s. The porter said this, don't you worry about Miss Jane. It's my mama's name. I'll get her home. And he got her home. He delivered her to my grandfather. When my mama died, King Jesus said, don't you worry about Miss Jane. I'll get her home. And folks, beloved, you can go through this life seeking everything in the world but until you find the one who's seeking you, the Lord Jesus, you are not safe. But when you keep him by the hand, the nail pierced hand, he'll get you home.